Why is choosing the Defensive Player of the Year troubling? Is Zaza Pachulia a dirty player? Does James Harden need to be called for traveling more? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast slash live periscope. As always, I'm joined by Dave Dufour. Dave, I'm glad to have you here on a nice Monday morning. What's happening, my man? Uh, you know, not much. Just hanging out. Uh, it's kind of cold. Is it cold in L.A.? It's cold it's in a, Arizona. It's a little bit nippy. It's like, you know, in the in the, in the the high 40s, early 50s, in the early morning. And then it gets up to, you know, you know, upper 60s or so, 70 maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's cold. It's a little nipply. We're 61 degrees right now, and I think I might have to turn the heat on. It's, it's... <laughs> And everyone out there is calling us the biggest bunch of a-holes of all time because <laughs> they're probably freezing their butts off. I'm sorry, but hey, life in the fast lane over in L.A. and in, uh, I'm sorry, not Phoenix. Where are you again? Scottsdale? Uh, I'm in Tucson. 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 That's right. Forgive me. Um, okay. Well, let's start our, let's, let's start the show. Let's talk a little bit about some basketball. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. You know, I don't like to waste too much time on the banter, although the banter is never that bad. But uh, I did want to say that I'm preparing a video on the Defensive Player of the Year. And I basically kind of discovered that there's a lot of sort of folly in this award to begin with. And my biggest problem I have is that, you know, how if I'm going to choose between like Embiid and Paul George, they don't play the same position. So their defense is radically different. And I don't understand exactly how we're supposed to compare those in some meaningful way. Right. I mean, defensive assignments between positions are, are obviously much different. Um, you know, how much you actually are responsible for, you know, for, for instance, Embiid, so much of his job is protecting the rim and cleaning up other people's mistakes. Uh, but then there's an argument to be made that the harder job is being Paul George and having to guard the best wing on the opposing team. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk a lot about how it's a wing league. Um you know, so does that make wing defense more valuable? I, I don't know, and and I I think that the point that that you've that you're making on this is a good one, and and maybe something that they should consider uh, as far as like the award goes. Maybe saying you had one defensive player of the year is a little bit too, you know, narrow minded. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh... There, and I know we're going into positionless basketball, but it doesn't sort of translate because we still have the interior and and and, and, uh, and outside defenders. And so, you know, for instance, when I watched Paul George against, uh, let's see, uh, Golden State, the game last week, not the one that where the Golden State won handily. I mean, Paul George dismantled the offense practically by himself uh, from the weak side and from even on the on ball. Uh, now, in, in Embiid's defense, he is you know covering a lot of mistakes made by the perimeter players who are getting beat, and he's able to block shots and to contest and then grab rebounds that are tough. So he does his own amount of work. It, there's there's definitely a lot less running involved with Embiid. I think that's safe to say, right? Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're not having to work as hard um, in in one sense, but. There's a lot more awareness, I, I would argue, because when you're guarding on the basketball, that's all you have to worry about. Whereas, you know, when you're when you're the weak side helper, as he winds up being quite a bit, um, you know, you've got to worry about not only covering the rim and, and coming over to help on the strong side, but you can't get burnt when you leave your man either, right? And you've also got a defensive rebound, which is you know that's a big part of defense, and and I know it's one that's overlooked quite a bit in favor of steals and blocks but mm-hmm. honestly defensive rebounding is is 
probably the more important of any of those skills because that ends the possession and you're going to get a lot more possessions ended that way than with a with a steal. True. And, and so there's no question that Embiid does suck up a lot more of those rebounds than Paul George, for instance. But again, Paul George is out there contesting the three to make the miss, right? And then we don't see Embiid do that as much. So it's a real tough thing for me. And we're talking about, you know, Paul George leads the league in deflections. And I, I, I got to check. I haven't gotten to defensive win shares, but I know he's got to be up there at this point uh, as well. So he is definitely doing his part for his role, uh, I think, better than anybody else. And I think Embiid is doing his part and his role better than anybody else. And so it's like maybe they could have a co-defensive player of the year. I believe it's happened in the past. Do you have that memory? No, I don't remember, but I'll pull it up. <laughs> okay. I almost feel like we've seen that before. I mean, we've had co-rookie of the years, and I, and maybe we've had a, a co-defensive player of the year. But either way, uh, but here's a problem since we're talking a little bit about advanced stats. So, you know, they have a new thing on stats.nba.com where they can go individually for each box score. You can see how a player did against a specific defender. So I was like, great, we're going to go through all the, you know, all the Paul George games where he had a guard, really, you know, KD and all the other really good small forwards and see how he's just to see how he did. Well, as I'm looking through this, I just said, you know what, let me look at the footage at least just to make sure that we're completely accurate here. And of course, it's not. They had KD going four for six against him when it turns out he only took five shots against Paul George. So I know it's a minimal, small amount of uh, field goal attempt difference, but this is supposed to be automated. It's supposed to be tracking with like sophisticated computers and stuff. I went to the game before and he supposedly defended Buddy Heald on six uh, field goal attempts. He only defended him on three. So that's way off. So uh, I'm really concerned about this movement we're going toward tracking and and all these different things, and it's supposed to influence the way we play when, in fact, a lot of these stats are just not accurate. Yeah, um, I I think that we're we're just in the infant stages of this uh, automated tracking kind of age of of NBA uh, statistical analysis, uh, if you will. And I think that they'll get better at it. Um, You know, you and I have, have lamented some of the stuff, even with, um, synergy and and it's tracking stats and those are done by a human being you know they're still not perfect so um, I think that they'll get it sorted but I I, I mean it, it's so tough especially that that uh, shots defended statistic and, and knowing who's guarding who and and you know back to the def- uh, the positionless basketball point that you just made there's so much switching happening there's so much covering the way defense is played it's not an individual defense, so it's really hard to, to say one guy is responsible unless it's it's a guy who who blew an assignment. That, those are really the, like those are the ones that are glaring. This guy blew an assignment, and it and it could have happened early on in a in a defensive possession, and you can say, okay, well it's that guy's fault that that an open shot was was taken. And I still, you know, this doesn't account for like when Kyrie Irving does 25 dribble moves and and hits a tough you know mm-hmm. contested fadeaway and he makes it well there was still good defense there so yeah. it, it doesn't count for that stuff and and that's where you know i don't think you will replace you know like the scout's eye uh for the for that sort of thing because a computer just will not be able to tell you all that not unless they're 3d modeling in real time and 
you know, uh, we're we're not there yet. Right. They they know that if they're if the defender is close to the shooter, but they don't know if his hand was up, for instance, right, or if he was even in the air. Because remember, you know, the way to to contest a, a good shooter from the three point line is you got to be in the air now to contest the shot. And uh, you know, we don't they don't know how to track that yet. Uh, I, I there was a play that I showed on Twitter, uh, uh, like you know, before we started recording, where so Paul George gets beat badly back door, but Stephen Adams is right there to contest and force the miss. So all of a sudden, we don't. It, it appears to me that like Paul George is going to get credit for you know that defensive possession because he was on Buddy Hield, but he got beat. And then, Paul, but but then I also imagine that Stephen Adams should get credit for the the really good contest at the rim that forced the miss. And so now you kind of have redundant possessions here where they're both getting the same possession and they don't they won't going to add up to the total possessions you have in a game. So it's just really sort of confusing to me in that respect because and by the way, if I were just charting with by my eyes as an assistant coach for an NBA team, uh, I got to figure out who I would give that possession to, right? Because certainly he doesn't get the layup unless he gets unless Paul George gets beat, but uh, certainly he doesn't miss unless Paul uh, Stephen Adams is right there to contest. So um, I don't know. Well, it and seems way, like you just yeah. answered the 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 question, right? So it's it's a multi part process, right? And I would give the good marks for the defense because you know what people do get beat, but it's the rotation and the help that you get afterwards, which is you know really important. Right. And if well, you don't also, have, yeah, when you get beat, what did you do to the to the uh, offensive player to put your defense in position to succeed? Because you know we talk about this a lot. Point guard defense is so hard to read because some schemes call for just you're funneling the the, the driver out of the middle um, and into the help. And it may look like you're being beat, but really you're just you're overloading. You know, you're icing and and pushing toward the help. Right. Um. And so it's it, it can look like a guy is consistently being taken off the dribble, where really he's doing his job, which is to funnel the ball into the help and either into a trap or or whatever. And so I think that that's where again, this is where you're never going to replace the human being who knows the game and can you know like the the advanced scouts and guys like that because they're the ones who actually can can make those reads. I mean, I think you and I are pretty qualified to do that. Like when we're watching a game, we can say, okay, well, judging by the way that they're defending and how consistently they're doing this, I can assume they are that this is their scheme and this is what they want to accomplish. Are they accomplishing that goal? Not are they, you know, is the opposite team, uh, the opposing team shooting 0%? you know right. from the field um not is, is is the guy poking the ball away a lot and getting you know five or six steals a game but are they are they are they playing solid defense not giving up open shots at the rim not giving up open threes and and you know are they are they getting to spots and contesting shots um that's quality defense it, the, like process over results right because oh, you absolutely. have a team get hot and hit 60 percent for a game but Right, but are you good defense? Yeah, are you adhering to your principles, which in the long run will allow you? Because remember, like I said this before, defense is just offense without the ball. It really is, and so there is like you you have to run your offense a certain way so everyone knows where everyone else is moving and how you create a shot. It's the same way with defense, and even though the other team does score at times, you need to be able to stick to those principles. So uh, a lot of those things, yeah, a lot of great points being made here, Uh, and also it's what's interesting, and you know, you know this as well as I do on Twitter, some of the more 
you know, snarky and vociferous arguments I end up getting into are about defense, which is so weird to me only because when I watch it, and I've watched it for so long and know how to break it down, that's the thing that seems the most clear cut, whose rotation it was, who didn't do which, and yet, like, I'll get people out of the woodwork coming out of every different, you know, corner of the universe uh, to try and really, not even just say, hey, I don't think that's right, like, really snark, really sort of angry, really, you know, like, F you, you don't know what you're talking about kind of stuff, and it's really interesting. And I think, by the way, what that means is that a lot of people who, you know, probably played at some level of basketball throughout their lives probably just never really had a great defensive coach. Right. Well, I mean, and you know, most coaches at lower levels don't know what they're doing. That's why they play a lot of zone, you yeah. know, because I, while while being really good at a zone requires being good at man-to-man, being a teacher of zone doesn't require you to understand defensive principles, And which is one of the reasons why I'm so against the zone. I just don't like it. A, it's boring to watch, but, but B, I just don't think that – I think it's kind of a cop-out um, for guys that don't want to coach proper defense because it's just like, all right, well, here's your area. And you can play some Ole Matador defense, and it's okay because you've got these guys that are permanently positioned inside. Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, by the way, that's sort of the, the Steph Curry thing that they argue with me. It's like, well, his, they're so good behind him, right? His defense is terrible, but because they're behind him, they make him look so much better. And I'm like, that's not really the case. It's kind of it, it addresses what you're talking about. He's doing his job in his role and facilitating right. the proper way. Uh, it's, you know, it's not his fault that he's got – for conceivably the best defensive player in the world behind him in Draymond Green, even though I'm not even sure he's in the conversation this year for defensive player of the year, is he? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think that their their defense has fallen off so much this year. I mean, you know, while we know that they've got that next level, that that higher gear that they're not getting into right now, um, I mean, we saw it in the OKC game the other night, especially oh, yeah. with Draymond, um, it, but like it is a regular season award and I'm sorry, you've got to be able to, you've got to perform, right? Like if, if LeBron James wanted to play all out 82 games and all that to be the MVP, then more power to him, but he is not doing right. it. No, um, you know, and, and so uh, team defense matters quite a bit for defensive player of the year, not just an in individual performance and, and you know, their defense has really slipped. Well, yeah, by the way, it's ninth in the league right now. And, and like, like you said, against the OKC when they blew him out in the last game, that was probably some of the best defense I've seen by any team all year. Like it really was stifling what they did to them on numerous occasions uh, or numerous possessions. So uh, I think what they did was, you know, it was a playoff like atmosphere and they, you know, they wanted to remind us to some degree that like, Hey, we are still, you know, the number one defensive team in the league or whatever we were the last several years. So they, and the, so there's a good sign. I think if you were a Warriors fan, whether that defense is going to come back, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they're, they're going to have any, any problem hitting that gear in the playoffs, but again, it's a regular season award, so you know you gotta you gotta perform. So I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing your video. Oh, I mean, you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to actually getting it, starting to work on it. But you know what's actually all talking about that kind of work? You're making me kind of hungry, Dave. And when I'm thinking about hunger, especially during the day, it's like the last thing you want to do is eat some really heavy food because then you're like you're falling asleep, and it really is terrible. So. Uh, you really, you should. We gotta tell everyone about these things called RX bars because they really are fantastic uh, ways of eating healthy and clean that will make you still feel good when you're finished and not hungry. Yeah, and they're they're made from whole ingredients. This is not like protein powder. I mean, they use eggs, they use dates, they you know they use real <laughs> real food to make these bars. Kind of an old school approach to a a, a new world problem. 
so to speak. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when they also use almonds and no BS, by the way. So it's in like in part of their, their ingredients is no BS with the eggs and the dates. Uh, and it turns out that real food ingredients actually taste really good. They, it really does. It's kind of scary because a lot of those other bars I've had in the past have been like paste, you know, mm-hmm. or like, like eating dust. And these things are really good. You can taste the, uh, the real fruit, the spices, like they have sea salt. Now here's the one thing that's interesting. They do the sea salt and the chocolate together, which I know a lot of people like. Uh, and, uh, certainly it gives you the, the, the a mixture things that are, are not always uh, you would think that would work together but uh, but they have 11 delicious flavor varieties and they're gluten-free soy-free dairy-free with no added sugar uh, so really just RX bars are the thing that you got to try out if you're looking for that kind of thing that in a snack to keep you hungry and and you know if you're playing and you want to play better on the court yeah my the the chocolate and sea salt is my wife's favorite flair, flavor she keeps them in her desk at work and um you know that that combination of sweet and savory is uh, is pretty delicious. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely, anything chocolate I'm in for. Uh, it's breakfast on the go. It's a snack at the office. It's throwing your bag for the plane. By the way, if you have kids, please trust me. That's a, a lifesaver. And you know what? The other thing is great is um, that you can get twenty five percent twenty five percent off your first order if you go to rxbar.com slash coach nick, uh, which is a great way of you know saving and being a part of the program here as friend of the breakdown. <laughs> um so speaking of the okc golden state game the other night uh yeah let's do it Julia. he he's a little problematic i think i tweeted the uh when he fell down against okc uh a couple of games or the last game before that and he almost it was like bowling balls almost took out um uh, Paul George's knee. And that actually, by the way, was more serious looking to me potentially than what happened on Saturday. But um, we, it, it begs to be the question. I posted on Twitter and there's a huge response to it. Uh, he, he, if you didn't see it, it was sort of in the open court. Russ, and, you know, Russ comes flying in like a crazy man uh, and knocks into Nick Young. And he falls down. And then in this sort of crumpled up mess of players, Zaza ends up falling across Russ's legs, basically. Uh, what's you, what was your immediate take on Pon seeing that? Uh, I mean, it, it definitely looked like he kind of, you know, could have controlled himself a little bit better. I mean, I don't know, man. I like, I hate to, I hate to try to place blame on someone when, you know, especially for something physical. Cause I don't know. I mean, he may just be the biggest goof in the league and, mm-hmm. and just a complete klutz like, like Katie said, but I don't know. It, it's, I think that it's an issue. The league might, you know, he might get a call from the league and maybe the Warriors get a call from the league. I mean, you had the Paul George play that you talked about. You had this Russ play. Um, you know, we've all seen the uh, the Kawhi play from, from last year in the playoffs, which I even defended and said, uh, hey, well, you know what? I mean, he was closing out and wasn't looking at the ball. Maybe he, again, just being goofy. There's a certain point, man, where you, you don't get that, like, you don't get to use that excuse repeatedly um this is i mean he has got a history of playing dirty at this point you got to call a spade a spade and and it just looks like he's being a dirty player yeah and and there's just no place for it in the league man And, and the league needs to do this from from a league interest standpoint they need to they need to nip this in the butt um you know draymond with the 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 kicks to the groin they came out really really harshly against 
and there's a better argument to be made that the Draymond kicks were not on purpose than than what Zaza's been doing. Right, and I agree. Although it's, it's interesting that you know because the Draymond thing always kind of felt like you know there was some sort of natural as he's losing his balance, sure, uh, to balance again. Uh, now he, he exaggerated really, it, and, and he hasn't really done it since. So whatever, for whatever reason, that got cleaned up. Uh, but here's the thing about what happened on Saturday was that you know it was pointed out that at some point in that melee. Uh, someone's foot, I think it was Nick Young's foot, does yeah. kick the back of Zaza's left knee. and But it does feel like there's a bit of a pause, perhaps, where it's like, oh, there is my cue, so then I can go fall. You could argue that maybe he that pause is like, okay, i got to make sure I don't want to fall all the way on top of Russ. So he falls to the left of him, but that means that he's going to fall completely across his knees. And you know the dude is what two hundred and seventy five pounds probably, um, and he's you know certainly sweaty, which is another problem I would not want to deal with. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, so you know so that's that is the interesting thing. Now he did give Russ a little pat after that, saying like, "Hey, uh, you know, I hope you're okay." I guess I don't know what he's saying with that, but uh, we have some some words from Russ that he actually weighed in as well. And you know we have technology here; we can actually bring that clip to you live. Are you ready, Dave? I'm ready. I hope everyone else out there is ready. We have Russ talking about the play with uh, Zaza. Oh, what do you mean what happened? What do you think what happened? Sure. I don't know. I couldn't see. Don't lie. Don't lie. You couldn't see. You saw the instant replay four times. What, what happened? You fell on your leg. Thank you. Don't ask me a dumb question you know the answer to. You think it was intentional? Did you see it? Sorry. What it look like? What it look like? Did anybody touch him? Yes or no? It. I didn't see the replay. Yet. Oh, you didn't see it? But why are you asking about something you didn't I, see? I, I just saw well, the then, well, then, if you didn't see it, don't ask me a question. Don't ask me dumb questions, man. You, obviously, it was intentional. So don't ask me, was it intentional? Nobody touched me, fell over my leg, tried to hurt me, you know. But, hey, that's how I go. You think that's something the NBA needs to look into? Hey, man, they'll see it and, and look at it. You know what I'm saying? They'll see it. Do you think... Uh, You've had a couple run-ins with Zaza. Do you think he's a, a dirty player? Yeah, for sure. So there you have it, sports fans. We got the words right from Russ's mouth, and I don't know. I, I don't listen. I know that people who are Russ fans are already going to argue with me that uh, I'm a hater and this and that, whatever. Uh, by the way, I'm not a hater if I show good stuff from him too. I don't think, but. I got to tell you, the way he treats uh, reporters like that, um, it, it, that's just not right. Uh, just to throw it out there. But let's talk about what he said. So he is, you know, convinced that it's dirty. And are, where are we, is that where we're at now? Are you and I, are Dave and Nick are on the same page here that, that Zaza is dirty or not? What are we going to say definitively? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a dirty play. It's a dirty play. Plain okay. and simple. Yeah. Okay, I, I kind of go with that. I do think that there's a there is enough knowledge of of like okay, this is this could happen, it could not happen, and where where just because of that, it's dirty. You know, yeah. it's not completely completely accidental. Um, right. So yeah. So he's looking to like flop. He's looking to 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 look yeah. to create contact and try and even if it's trying to get a foul, if that flop ends up hurting someone like his own teammate. Right, like he did last year with Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's a terrible flopper, and, and you know I, I just think. This is one of the reasons why flopping needs to be cleaned up as well um, because of of the uh, accidental injuries and stuff like that that are going to happen. And, um, yeah, it, now he's he's a dirty player, and, and it's time to it's time to do something about it. I think the league needs to step in. Yeah. Well, here's a good question from Shams, Sham God or something like that. Who's Sham. dirtier, Zaza or Joakim Noah? I think that's a pretty easy answer, right? 
Uh, I'd say Zaza. I, I mean, I don't know if if Noah is I even remember. dirty yeah. per se. He's just a real, you know, uh, energetic, and he gets after it. But I don't He's think scrappy. Yeah, I, I think there's yeah. I mean, there's a clear difference between that. Now Zaza also could be sort of scrappy. I mean, listen, the dude plays like 12 minutes a game. It's not even like right. they're, that they're playing him all these minutes where he's going to hurt people. But and there is that sort of code, I guess. Right? We heard this with Delvanova when he hurt Kyle Korver uh, in the playoffs a couple of years ago, where well, you know, and I, I I bristled against that greatly because I feel like okay, here's a guy who wants to play as hard as he possibly can. He needs to to stay up with the guys in the NBA, and yet now they're saying no, you got to chill it out, man. So you don't hurt anybody um and that, that's a really difficult line to 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 walk across i think Del Vidova is also a little dirty so okay yeah i mean none of them are as dirty as john stockton though so right he, it, you know he's in the hall of fame so you're lucky you never played against me because if this was the case then i would have been i would have probably gotten thrown out of every game now if i played the way i used to because <laughs> like you know i was physical whatever it was physical but Phys- you know. physical and dirty are different yeah. Physical and dirty are different. Physical is fine. Dirty will get you punched. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the thing. Like, in a pickup game, if you're dirty or if someone feels like you're dirty, you, you will get punched. Physical is totally fine. Like, most guys like a little bit of physicality, but dirty is different. Uh, it is. It is. And, and again, there are sort of variations of different things, and you have the, there's gray areas too. But I think you're right with the way the sheer number of Zaza incidents so far. Um, you know, either that or or he is just so clumsy that he, maybe he just shouldn't be playing in the league. Yeah. I think that's the well, thing. I mean, it's so frustrating to watch him anyway. He finishes so poorly on offense, and you know, defensively, it's like they can't cover that with like Javale. And by the way, is Jordan Bell coming back? I thought he was supposed to be back. Yeah, he's gonna he's he's cleared, I think, and um, they're gonna be ramping him up soon. Okay, good. Well, we have an interesting question here. I'm kind of curious your take on this because it's a little different. Here is uh, NH Yuki asks any. Uh, any any end to all the technical fouls being called? Suspensions are coming, and it's not even March. Well, besides Draymond, who got one uh, a reputational foul, uh, technical foul the other day um, for trying to incite the crowd to, to, to make some noise and got a tee. Uh, do, are you aware who else has gotten a lot of tees? I'm, I'm LeBron got one yesterday. Ooh. Complaining about not, not getting a call. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that – I don't think techs are even up. I think they're just more high profile, and we're okay. talking about them more. Um, are the referees it, it, a problem more problematic this year than ever? Probably not, but again, it's just the microscope, right? Like, I mean, with the replay, with the last two minute report, I honestly think if we got rid of replay and and got rid of the last two minute report, um, we wouldn't complain about the bad refereeing nearly as much. Interesting. So you want to get rid of the rev- uh, the replay? I'm not saying I want to. I'm just oh. saying that, that the perception is now out there, right? Like when the when the league issues a thing saying, you know what, we missed four calls, right? Right. Um, you know, at the end of the game, it's not gonna. It's not a good look. Yeah. No. I. Uh, I mean, I. I hear you. The replay thing is interesting because we're gonna see the replay anyway. Right, even if it doesn't, right. they don't. They don't replay. We're going to know that they completely screwed up that call. Probably makes it just as bad. Although I can't, I'm trying to think if we've seen one where it was no. They, they usually once the replay happens, they get it, they fix it. Uh, but I think if that ever were to happen, where they're like <laughs> they get the replay call wrong, and I, I'm sure maybe it's even happened at this point that that's when things go crazy as well. Um, but um, you know, it's yeah. it's it's a real problem, and I, I feel like. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that the, the the Draymond situation is probably the more concerning thing of anything for the Warriors because obviously the, the technical fouls start coming. And he's in. An, he, he's close to suspension territory. Yeah, and sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. The suspensions are coming. Yeah. But the also thing is, um, luckily for him, it starts over in the playoffs. Luckily, because you know he's going to get close to those as well in those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of the refereeing, let's let's just talk briefly about how James Harden. Uh, and his step back, it's not a travel. Um, I think sure people you just. Go there? Well, yeah, just briefly. I mean, it's, it, this is it's easy. I think people the big misunderstanding is when the gather happens. So when the dribble is stopped, and a lot of people just assume because, like, they, it's almost like they have to rewind in their brain. <laughs> okay, well, he stopped dribbling there, and I counted steps, and now and now it's a travel. Well, if that ball is still moving in his hand, like. It is the the dribble is still alive. So right. anything he does while that ball, it's just like if I if you you throw a pass down court, you can bobble the ball all the way down court without dribbling. You, you right, can, sort right? of. Yes, I, I guess it, it, it sort of. It's if you have you control have of it, obviously they're right. not. But you're bobbling it. Right. Well, I mean, but but the more accurate way, or, or you could say, is you can kind of throw the dribble out in front of you and run after it. Absolutely. And you can take a hundred steps in between dribbles there, right? Uh, because the dribble is still going, is yes. still alive. You know, like, and what the weirdest stuff is, so the, the weird stuff comes out of the woodwork now when people want to argue. They're saying, "Well, he took three, or he took four steps after the ball bounced the last time," but and I'm like, "What does that have to do with anything?" The, the, the dribble bounce, doesn't stop. Yes. Uh, it, like it doesn't. The steps don't start on that bounce. The steps start when the dribble is discontinued, which right. isn't until he gets his hand like underneath the ball or right. grabs it with the other hand. Yes, it's, I this think is almost like have, you must have talked about this before. It sounds like you have uh, the, the yes, correct information. I have. I have. Um, now here's because the thing I, that, teach, yeah. I, I teach that step back. And are they not calling it at the high school level? Uh, they want to. They, they but they call euro steps. Yeah, travels as well. So oh, yeah. right. well, we'll get into that later. But so here's what's going on because I don't think people want to understand that like Harden practices this move right like he has got it down to a science so this is not like some random thing where oh like the, he just got away with something no he is splitting his feet he's doing a split lifting both feet splitting and he's planting the front the front foot as a jab exactly and so he is now a timed it perfectly where he does that that front foot lands and then, and then he, gathers, he the ball, gathers the ball and then he does one two and you can do a one two going to the basket for a layup you can do a one-two going sideways toward the sideline. Right. You can go back toward the half court. It doesn't matter when you're the one-two. It just matters when you pick it up, and that's what he's done. And the referees, you know, they've studied this, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, yeah. You know? and and that's the part, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that's the part that kills people. It's the If he was going forward, no one would ever think it was a travel. But it's because he steps in a way that most people are unfamiliar with because the majority of people watching basketball – Maybe they've played pickup basketball and and scored a layup, mm-hmm. right? Or taken two steps forward and maybe shot a floater. Probably not. But most of them have never done a step back. They do not understand the footwork, and it it it's just it's a weird thing to their brain to to watch this guy take those steps back. Oh yeah, and and also uh, it's a weird thing because it's a high level uh, skill to be able to spin that ball in your hand as you're going and not actually discontinue the dribble and not dribble it and you're not carrying it and that's a thing like you watch LeBron he can get down the court in you know what three dribbles all the three way dribbles yeah most NBA players can get down the court in three dribbles three yeah three maybe four I just showed I did I showed Giannis doing it in four but he probably didn't need the fourth one right um, I feel and, like Giannis could do two. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. But, right. And that's, you know, and by the way, part of it is because he's so, such, such long steps and then yeah. his hand's so big that he can kind of control it and spin it and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the key here. I remember I was working with a guy, a, D, a, D, a D3 player. He was a good player. wasn't like a great dribbler, but a good shooter. And a good, you know, he's a senior in D3, and he really couldn't do it. And part of the reason why he couldn't handle it was because he was trained, as we train almost everybody, to pound the ball and low by your knee, and you take way too many dribbles. And so right. we need to kind of get reattack the way we teach dribbling. And I, I've got a whole lot of yeah. ideas. I'm going to start shooting some videos because I feel like we haven't taught it properly. One and of the things... Yeah, it's one of the things I focus on, pushing the ball out ahead, especially, you know, off of a rebound transition. Yeah. Um, Harden is fantastic at it. Steph Curry is really great at it. I actually posted a video on on, uh, on Twitter of, of Harden uh, coming off a screen and, and exploiting a, a miscommunication between Taj Gibson and Jimmy Butler. And he wound up using Taj Gibson as a screener by pushing the ball way out ahead. Um, and, and that kind of stuff, I mean, you're you're so in control when, when especially a guy like Harden, he's got so much body control and so much ball control. He's able to do that stuff in traffic. It's incredible. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's the thing. We're talking about running with the ball. It's a forty-five degree angle out in front of you, really. And yet, what we teach most of the time is you know straight down and ninety right. degrees, right? Right. And so all of a sudden, when you're trying to move, which is when you're you're dribbling, <coughs> excuse me, when you dribble, it's you're moving almost all the time. And so, you know, although it's funny because what was I doing? I was talking to somebody about how, you know, it's like you never see, let's like sort of stagnant dribbles more than one or two. And of course, whatever game I was watching had all these floppy sets. And so the point guards are sitting there for six dribbles on top waiting and whatever. But most of the time for most players, it's not the case. And uh, it's a real interesting uh, skill that you have to develop. Uh, and also the wrist thing. I'm an alligator arm. This is one of my big thing now where they don't actually even straighten their arm on a dribble. They just flick it with their wrist. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, that's what everyone does. And I don't think anyone ever really teaches it that much. And so I'm, I'm on a new quest to try and teach that and show the crossover with the alligator, alligator arms, only the wrist. Uh, don't pound the ball. You know, it's not like, you, right. you know, because if you were to throw the ball in front like that and it's pounded like as hard as you can, the ball is going to dri- fly over your head. Yeah, you lose it. So, uh, one of my pet peeves is the transition hesitation where guys hang the ball in their hip on every single dribble. And that it just slows you down so much. I mean, if, if you saw me coaching uh, one of my players, you would hear me. I, I'm always yelling at him, quit playing with the ball. Quit playing with the ball. Yes. Like you were not you – were, you were actually slowing yourself down by, by hanging the ball in your hip. And, I, I mean, you know, as a, when I'm playing pickup with guys, if they're going to hang the ball in their hip, I'm going to poke it away from behind every time so um you know when you when you watch guys do that i mean paul george is fantastic at poking the ball away when a guy hangs it on his hip um yeah and i think that you know what we're seeing more and more of at the lower levels is a lot it's a lot more of that and a lot less of guys getting the ball way out ahead actually pushing the ball i mean i teach splitting the trap by pushing the ball way out oh for sure right yeah you have to well, let's. Uh, there's a great question here by Jay Varela, who uh, you know we we remiss if we didn't talk about Jimmy Butler and his injury. Big big uh, news over the weekend. Uh, he has a meniscus tear, and they luckily they repaired it, did not remove it, which is sort of the new way to do this, and it will repair better, and he'll he'll have a longer a better career because of it. Um, what does this mean for the Wolves? Well. <laughs> Let's let's talk a little bit about the West and, and the the playoff picture out there because um, it is pretty incredible right now um, as it stands today as of this recording. Um, the difference between the three seed and the ten seed is four and a half games. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Thunder, Nuggets, and Clippers are all tied in the loss column at 27. The Wolves, Blazers, and Pelicans all have 26 losses. Um, the Timberwolves are at risk of missing the playoffs. That's what it, like, long story short, that's what it means. Jimmy yes. Butler, Jimmy Butler <laughs> has by far been their best player. He's an MVP candidate. Um, they have they have lived with him and and died without him. And uh, losing him is going to be tough. But I guess we'll see what they've got in Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, I agree. I agree. I mean, he has been that heart and soul of that team. And I feel like and he's bailed them out. Uh, a lot on offense. So the question now is, see, Carl Anthony Towns is an interesting guy because his footwork is so bad. And when I say footwork, I'm not even talking about pivots and turns. It's like just his whole lower body uh, needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. His knees don't sort of strike properly and they're usually out of alignment. His balance is off, so he misses shots. And yet he's still, a, he, despite that, he's still like a really great player that can really contribute a lot of uh, to the box score. So it's frustrating when I watch him, though, because of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and, and Wiggins is, is Wiggins. He really is the guy who we kind of all thought he was going to be, right? He's sort of, the ceiling is never going to get, he's never going to get to his ceiling, right? He's sort of always going to be the guy we're waiting for, uh, just, you know, whatever, right? I, I, you don't ever see him, like, having another gear and another part of his career at this point, do you? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's early. Is it? <laughs> it? It's pretty early. I mean, this is year five. Four? It's it's year five. It's, this is year one, two, three. Year four. Okay. And all right, he's only twenty-two. Yeah. I, I thought he was like twenty-three, twenty-four, well, but I mean, um, he's still got some growth, I think. Um, but what we're seeing this year is not is not amazing. Right. Um, and then that that big extension kicks in this summer. So I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's tricky. Um, this you and I talk quite a bit about Tibbs' uh, over reliance on Jimmy Butler in general. Mm-hmm. And in particular on his starting lineup, and this is where it's, you know, th- this is this is where we see how big of a mistake it was. You know, is the next man up ready to step up? Yeah, I mean, okay, then you can argue. Well, we don't know if it's really that or not. Well, maybe we'll never know. But um, I, I agree with you. There's got to be. There's at some point you've got to look at this and say they're all playing 37, 38 minutes a game, um, which is. Three by probably two or three minutes more than your typical starting lineup. I'm going to call up the uh, five man lineups right now because we do this every podcast, right? Where we compare, Um, and it's not a great comparison either because other teams probably have injuries to their starters. But um, if you look at overall minutes here, actually, wait a minute, it's interesting. Uh, You know, I'm not even saying that that the minutes caused the injury or anything to that effect. I'm just saying that you're you're over overly reliant on your starters. And so okay. losing Jimmy Butler, who is by far your most important player. Well, now you got to figure out something else. You know, you're going to have to throw someone else in the mix and um, chemistry is an issue. Uh, it, I mean, it's essentially down the stretch when you're, when you're trying to clinch this playoff position, which you don't have clinched yet, you're going to throw a new, new guy into the mix and hope it works out. And, and then Jimmy, if they're back, if he, if they make the playoffs, he's back, Roughly in time to play, like maybe a week or two, um, mm-hmm. just you know to get ready for the playoffs. So I, I just I don't know, man. I if if you put a gun to my head and uh, and force me to make a make a pick, I would say they wind up missing the playoffs. Okay, well if they miss the playoffs, who moves up between the Clippers and the Jazz? Well, I think the Jazz. I think okay. the Jazz do for sure. Um, although the Clippers have been playing well, I, again, I think this is Doc Rivers' best coaching job. 
Yeah, I'll have to kind of dive into the footage to find out exactly why that is, um, right? Or what's different per se? I don't know. Do you have any feelings to that? <laughs> None whatsoever. Okay. None whatsoever. I mean, he's holding it together with duct tape and zip ties. It's it's impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Ty Wallace, a friend of the breakdown, uh, is one of only uh, uh, five rookies to average nine points and whatever it was, a whole long list of things. Uh, and he was among the you know leaders with Ben Simmons and all the other yeah. uh, Donovan Mitchell. So uh, They've got yeah. a decision to make on him. Yes, it's time. That, yeah, they need to sign him with a regular contract. Um, his, his two-way deal expires in a couple of days, so... Yeah, so I think that's probably why that came out. <laughs> uh, so at any rate, well, uh, let's see. Can we turn to a couple questions real quick as we wrap sure, up here? Let's anything, do it. Anything Rapid in the uh, Periscope? Um, yeah, let's do it. What do you think about the Wizards being better without John Wall? Great question. I watched him the other day. Uh, I, I remember I've been saying this, right? They should break it up. Uh, and, and I think they should trade John Wall and get whatever they can for him now while he's at the it's probably the most he's going to be worth. I, the most impressive part of this to me is not just Bradley Beal being really, really good. It's... Uh, Thomas Sadoransky yeah. looking like a real starter in the NBA. I mean, he's he's been fantastic, and he's got elite size, and, and yeah. he's a really good athlete. Um, he needs to be less afraid to shoot, uh, and I think that will come as he gets more comfortable. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's something. That's a thing. Yeah, Sadoransky, you can see, like, minute by minute, though, it's like, you know, he's getting more and more comfortable. So that's what's mm-hmm. exciting about that uh, for sure. Uh, I'm just kind of curious looking here. When you have um, – so the starting lineup now with Beal, Gortat, Markeith Morris, Otto Porter, and Sadoransky, uh, 19 games, 225 minutes. It's the second most played lineup all, all year long after the Wall starting lineup. Uh, they're plus 15.2. That's, that's really impressive. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, and so <laughs> that just changes the dynamic of you know, without Wall, uh, things change. You know what? How about that for a video? Maybe like the difference between with wall and without wall and why it's better. Uh, I think that would probably be a good one. All right. I'll just share that with uh, Eric and let, uh, put that on the list. Uh, let's see here. What do you think about the Sixers acquiring LeBron? Zach's uh, 10. I, I don't think that they should. Yeah, that would be a bummer for Simmons, right? Right. You can't, you can't play them together, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, you can because it's, you know, it's LeBron and, and he'll figure it out. But it, it totally minimizes Simmons. It's also, because you, you see how long, I mean, Simmons, the other Simmons, Bill, was talking about uh, how long LeBron intends to keep playing for. Uh, where and, and, and I understand he'd want to find a situation where he's not like the man. But, you know, if he's going to play, let's say, I mean, he's at 40. Let's just say he plays to like 37. That's four more years of like not getting Ben Simmons completely, you know, doing Ben Simmons things. Uh, that would be a bummer for me. Yeah, I, I want to see Simmons continue to do what he's doing. Yeah. Now, John Adelon asks, uh, uh, John A., whatever your name is, Adelion asks, was, was uh, Coach Pop trying to recruit LeBron with his positive thoughts on him as a player person? That's a fascinating question because we saw that, yeah, Pop was really uh, uh, effusive in his praise for LeBron speaking out uh, about the political stuff and things, which is really great. Uh, and by the way, whatever I think about LeBron as a player, and I might you know point out things that people don't like about that, that they don't like about me saying it, uh, there is no question that his uh, advocacy and his willingness to, to speak out on, on, on issues in society are really commendable. Do you, but is Pop recruiting? No. I mean, he's the, he's the coach of USA Basketball. Um, I think he's doing his recruiting, okay. you know, over wine at dinner. Ah, right. fair enough, fair enough. All right, yeah. good idea. Uh, do you think Paul's, Paul George is a top five player, asks Emmanuel Love? Team. No. No. No? Top five player in the What's league, the list? Paul George? No. Um, it's, KD, LeBron? It's KD, LeBron, Steph, Harden? Anthony Davis, uh, Harden, or Giannis. I mean, you know. Yeah, right. Okay. 
So he's not top five. No. Um, although, you, know, you want to do this two-way player nonsense? No. No. All right. No. Zach Sertan asks, do you like the newly proposed play in tournament for playoffs? No. I think it's a terrible idea. I missed Dumb. that. What is that proposed idea? Where basically they would take the, the seven through ten seed or whatever and have oh. them play for the last two playoffs. No. It's, no. no I, I'd rather just see one through 16. Yep. Yep. All right, and then Bill Bo Baggins, oh, very in very uh, clever way of writing that out, says, if you are the Mavs would, and you have the number one pick, who do you take? Uh, now, here's a problem, because you'd say don't chitch, but they already have Dennis Smith Jr. Um, I don't know. They can play together. Yeah. Dennis Smith Jr., is he going to get in trouble with all this FBI stuff? No. No. The player, listen, man. You know, let, let's talk about that just briefly. Um, a, a, tax concerns aside, okay? Um you know, whether they had to report that to the IRS as some kind of income or whatever, uh, which it's such small potatoes and these guys are making millions. They'll be fine. Okay. Um, the players did nothing wrong. I, I do not fault a single player for getting paid for their skill. Not one. Um, the coaches, I don't think that there's anything morally wrong aside from the fact that they, uh, you know, said that they would abide by the NCAA rules. So if you want to say that they're dirty because they, they said that they would do something, you know, and they broke the rules, then that's fine. Now, there's a lot of stuff that that is also like there's a little bit of stuff that from a legal purview is pretty dirty, you know, uh, influencing players to go to certain management agencies and, and blah, 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 blah. Like this all started because of wire fraud. Right. Okay, right. So so if you're tied up in the in the wire fraud aspect of this, okay, well then you know you've got some issues. But the players taking money, they're they're not a part of that. Okay. I, I don't mind that issue. I don't mind that argument either. I mean I written a screenplay about the CCNY basketball team in nineteen forty nine fifty and how they were point shaving and I, I portrayed them in a very uh, sympathetic light because A, they these were poor kids that had no money. B, uh, when they got there it was so ripe. Uh, rife with this stuff anyway it was the culture it was like what you did it wasn't right. you talked about it before you even went there I was like oh CCNY will do this and then we'll do this and that's why you decided where to go uh, I have no doubt that there's probably some similarities here that's why Sean Miller was probably so brazen talking about money on the phone allegedly uh, 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 allegedly, and by the, by the way, don't we all know you're supposed to use the word, you know, baked ziti instead of money when you're talking about that stuff on the phone? Well, I don't know. I, I actually talked about this the other day. I was like, you know, that this guy didn't grow up uh, in in the world that I grew up in because he was talking directly on the like on the telephone uh, about yeah. the things that he was doing. Um, he well, just watched The Wire once, man. Come on. Yeah. By the way, I still can't get through the freaking wire. It's like I'm on episode two. I just cannot get through it, and I, it's driving me crazy. I'll try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get through to, what, episode four, right? That's what gets you hooked, right? I, I don't know, man. I liked episode one. But then again, I'm from Richmond, so I'm like from right down the road. I can relate pretty well to you okay. know what was happening. It looked, it looked. I mean, I was never like a cop or a drug dealer, but I knew – Right. So, People. yeah, that's kind of like saying I can relate to the shy because I grew up in Chicago. And I'm telling you, I watched uh, half of an episode and I was like, I don't know what the hell this is. But it was I grew <laughs> up in neighborhoods that were similar. Let's OK, interesting. All right. Well, fair enough. So, well, listen, um, it's time to wrap this up and, and congratulate you for another great podcast. Yeah. Congratulations to you as well. This is good. Thank you. Well, <laughs> yeah. The Wirecast Rendezvous people, if you're listening. Wow. What an improvement. Yes, absolutely. Dave, you can now move, and it's clean, and it's, it's smooth and everything. So uh, really happy with all the tech now. We're not battling demons as much as we used to. Uh, and really great stuff. Great questions for everyone in the Periscope. And uh, 
Don't forget to give us a little like and review on iTunes. Oh, I promise I'll forget. I'll remember next time to read some of those good reviews that we got uh, on iTunes next time. We'll shout some people out. So get on there and do it, and I'll get you out there the next time we do a podcast. Yeah. And uh, I've got a friend of friend of ours, Larry Kuhn, on my podcast tonight. So that'll Ooh. that'll go live later. Yeah, we're going to talk some CBA, and we're going to talk about the sports business classroom. Ah, uh, it's already time cool. to start about that again. Absolutely, man. You know, it's a, now a summer league tradition. So uh, we'll be doing that on my podcast that'll go live later on tonight. All right. Well, maybe this year he'll let me come in and, and, and watch for a few minutes this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyhow, awesome stuff. Thank you guys for joining us on Periscope. Can't wait to see you guys over the podcast. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. Yes, I am.